Welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. My name is Spencer Powell, the Inbound Marketing Director at Builder Funnel. And each week we bring you marketing and sales strategies for your home building or remodeling business. Thanks for joining me today. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to episode number 16. This week I talked to Deborah Bernard of Bernard Partnerships and we talk about launching new home communities and what goes into the preparation for a launch. And she actually has developed this checklist over many, many years and it's a total of about 450 details that go into a launch of a new home community. And so we break down some of those. We don't cover all 450, but we certainly get into the main phases and what are the key components that you need to make sure you're hitting when thinking about launching a new community and making sure that that's a success. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Uh, sit back, enjoy episode number 16 with Deborah Bernard. Hey, Debbie, glad to have you on the show today. How are you, Spencer? It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well today and I'm excited for our show. We're going to talk about community launches, which I think is a super important topic. Um, but before we kind of get into the nitty gritty there, I'm curious, you know, you got into the home building industry pretty early on, right? Uh, well, I guess early on is, is a good thing if you land in the right place. Um, and, you know, I was, I was lucky in my 20s that um, I started uh, with a home builder developer uh, right out of college as a communications director. And I sort of fell in love with the industry at that moment and realized, you know, hey, this is kind of fun, you know, working on a product that people actually can live in. Um, so while I had a degree in psychology and I thought I knew a lot about people, you know, when you start working for, uh, you know, the builders, you really learn the real estate uh, business. Um, and that was a, a good launching pad to um, uh, when I moved to California, landing a job with KB Home. At the time, they were called Kaufman and Broad. And uh, that was really a fantastic uh, 12-year segment of my uh, 20s and 30s where you got to really work with the best of the best. That's awesome. So it was a great, it, it was a great, kind of a great start, you know, as a, as a first woman there, you know, in all the meetings, there's always all these guys, all the suits and then me. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was sort of interesting to be in, in a management role and um, to be helping them, you know, drive the company a bit in the area of marketing and customer service and product design and things that, you know, at the time, KB was more of a, you know, good construction company, a really good construction company with great financing. Um, and they've gone through periods of uh, being market focused and then not being market focused. And so um, during my tenure there, we were pretty market focused and it was really fun to to really focus on the customer and what was their experience. That's awesome. And and so I'm sure during your time there with, with KB, you were in multiple roles. I guess what what were the roles that you, um, you know, spent the most time in, you know, you mentioned marketing and, and mm -hmm. design. Mm -hmm. Well, they, you know, they hired me as sort of a, you know, uh, very green marketing assistant. You know, I, I wrote copy, I could write, I could think, um, I probably could analyze pretty well and maybe had good taste apparently. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I did the marketing assistant stuff and then every couple of years they kept giving me a new job, which was nice, you know, I was marketing coordinator, then I was marketing director and then, I worked in a division outside the, um, in San Francisco in the Bay area, um, for KB at the time. And we were building six or 700 units a year. And so I was their VP marketing and worked, you know, alongside a sales manager and together our job was to get the home sold and closed. 
Um, and then for a couple of years at the end of my uh, term with them, I actually worked in the corporate office and I oversaw their marketing for the whole state of California, um, which we had about 14 divisions at the time. And we were producing upwards of six or 7,000 homes a year. So it was a big operation. And, uh, you know, my job was to cajole all 14 division presidents onto some marketing idea and to get them <laughs> to agree that, okay, this is the direction we should go in. You know, you guys can all print your own individual brochures or we can run 200,000 of these puppies and really save some money. What would you like to do? So <laughs> the goal was to try and get agreement on good concepts and save a little money along the way. Um, so again, it was, you know, it was a time of, um, of innovation. And I think it was also a time of, of bringing divisions together who were fairly autonomous otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that brought along some interesting challenges, but it sounds like you were, you know, with the company during this period of, you know, pretty good growth. I'm curious, how did you, mm-hmm. you know, how did you transition from, from that position to, you know, what you're doing now, which is helping um, you know, several builders, you know, around the country, um, mm-hmm. develop, mm-hmm. you know, their systems for, you know, launching communities and, right. and marketing. Well, you know, I finally had gotten enough phone calls from colleagues and builders in the business who kept asking me questions after 12 years at KMB. What do you think about that? What should we build here? Which should, you know, who's my buyer? And I finally said, I can't talk to you. You know, we have a project <laughs> down the street. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, and then I'd gotten enough of those calls and then realized that I was kind of reaching the honestly glass ceiling and I didn't think I could become a division president. It was kind of the late eighties, early nineties, and it was just wasn't in the cards market wise. You know, we were consolidating it was recession. So I thought, you know, maybe I'll just start my own business because I could then help all these small to mid-sized builders and really help them where they don't have a fleet of, of people in their marketing department. You know, they maybe have one person or maybe they don't have anyone. So anyway, I started the business about 25 years ago with that concept. And uh, it's still a, a cool business. It's a you know, boutique marketing uh, company. And we you know, work with builders coast to coast on, on lots of marketing things. It sort of depends what they need. Um, but the, the process is the same to me. You know, whether you're building 30 houses or 300 houses or 3,000 houses, the process should be the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, that's really what I'm excited to dive into today is kind of that, that process. And I know you, you know, through the years of, you know, launching communities and and doing market studies and all these different things that go into a community launch, you've developed this pretty robust system. So I, I'd love to kind of break down that a little bit further and, and share that with, with the audience. But um, I guess kind of Starting at the beginning, how far in advance should a builder be starting to prepare sales and marketing efforts for a launch of a community? Um, that's a great question, you know, and, and I've had people ask me that. And the answer always relies on um, what, what stage is the land at, okay? If you have just bought finished lots and they're kind of expensive and you're kind of sitting on them, uh, then the answer is you've got three to four months to get your act together and get out there because it's expensive and every month that you're carrying it, it's just adding to the price of how. So in the tight times in the KMB, when Eli Broad was really active in the company and Bruce Carrots and, and my boss, John Polk, when they were all really turning it, we would try and turn our dollar three times a year, meaning we would deliver a house in 90 to 120 days. 
And if we bought a piece of land and it had, you know, pavement down and the lots were finished, we were expected to get out there in 90 to 120 days with something, which means your logo's done, your signs are done, your houses are done, you know, your models are under construction, you know, you're going, you're in the market. And so that's about as fast as you can do it. And it's, it's, you know, everything's out at that point. You're, you're running to do that. <laughs> um, but we did it. We didn't do it on all of our projects. I mean, if you had 10 projects, you might have one like that. Okay. Um, but normally I would say six to nine months is a very comfortable lead time to get a project up and running. We have something called a, a countdown to grand opening, which we have broken out to like nine months before. Here's what you do eight months before, you know, and it really is plenty of time. And there's, there's no reason to be doing things like two months before that you could have been doing seven months before. To me, it's like organizational. That's really, you know, marketing, everyone thinks is, oh, you know, it's like a fancy job and you get to do all this pretty stuff. I mean, there's some of that, but it's really operational. You know, you need to get the items done and get them done early enough so that they're high quality. And don't forget anything. You know, I, I, we did a bunch of openings, you know, where you forget stuff. Well, we all done that early in your career. You know, the, the doormats aren't, aren't there. The floor plans aren't ready. The salespeople aren't trained. You know, we can open like that. You can open like that, but, you know, you're going to get a C. Yeah, so. you're right. I mean, that that whole function of marketing, there is a lot, the, the creative element, you know, and the strategy element, but mm -hmm. there's certainly just a lot of organizational execution to it and timing mm -hmm. and making yes. sure you're preparing yeah. ahead. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm curious, you know, what is the... What does the team look like? Uh, you know, all the different people that have to go into preparing a launch. I mean, you mentioned a few things already, mm -hmm. just the the doormats and, you know, mm -hmm. et cetera. But, what, you know, what are all the, the key players? <laughs> well, interesting. In our brochure on our website, I think we call this the Wheel of Fortune. We've had different names for this thing. But if you can kind of, you know, picture like a circle and then in the middle of the circle is, you know, the hub of the wheel. Um, and then those spokes are kind of, you know, radiating out to the edge of the wheel, you know, in each section is a different like piece of the puzzle or a different part of the team. And ideally if they're all strong, when you go to roll the wheel, it's like smooth, but if you have a weak spot, you know, you're going to get a bunch of bumps. It's not going to, it's not going to be really smooth. So our key points in the wheel obviously are the developer, right? Like who owns the land and who's getting it mapped. That's usually the builder. Then you have the, the engineer. Engineer is critical. You know, how are the lots mapped? What is the street layout? What's the grading? What's the topo? Engineer critical. Without good engineering, you know, I don't care what kind of marketing you have, you got a bad project. That's really important to me. And then you get sort of the marketing team, which is broad in the way that it's, you know, today it's digital marketing. It's, it's reaching people where they need to be reached. It used to be print advertising, you know, so there's all different ways to reach the customer, but I would call that marketing. Then of course you have construction, really important. They're checking your costs, they're building the product, they're making your tagline come true or not. You have sales, you need to interface with the customer, the conversations, the follow-up. The architect is another part of the team, you know, most of the time's not in-house, but really responsible for the home design. And then lastly, I had sort of the decorator and landscaper as sort of the merchandising aspect. You know, how are the models presented? You know, they should be decorated, hopefully, and the outside, you know, looking very livable. Uh, that part of the team is really important also. So those are kind of the core group. So again, developer, engineer, marketing, construction, sales, architect, merchandisers. That's the core. Does that help you with that? I mean, that kind of, 
you know, that I think that's most of the players. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just, I think it's helpful to kind of lay it all out because it's not just like, Hey, this community is just coming together. You know, there's, there's all these people mm-hmm. that play these roles and, and they all factor into mm-hmm. the timeline and, you know, getting it launched. Exactly. And you mentioned, I mean, I'm, I, Oh, go ahead. I was going to interrupt you that, that because I'm thinking that, you know, I'm a real, proponent of like team meetings, you know, where you actually get these people together to have a conversation. And I find it's harder and harder today because everyone lives on, on email and texting and quick conversations and over being overbooked. Um, and I find myself in the same quandary, but if you can get these people together in a room for even two to three hours, right before you launch a lot of stuff, I think it's good. Not right before, I mean, six to eight months before that to me, is, you know, <laughs> yeah. about when, not, not the month, but the month before is like, two. but, but I think that there's so much to be gained from ideas that are shared visually and just shared in conversation. And sometimes that little tweak from the stray construction manager who says, you know, did you know there's a whole access onto the site on the other side of that road? And nobody knew that, that it shifts the whole project. Yeah, you can uncover some, maybe some yeah. gems or some opportunities that you wouldn't yeah. have seen otherwise. Right. And they're not thinking about marketing. I would say a lot of those folks that I mentioned don't think about marketing in the purest sense, the way that I might or you might, but they know something about the site that you're just trying to get them to spill their guts. Yeah. And, and I think that actually brings up something really important because they know a lot about maybe what goes into the site, like you just said, which ultimately mm-hmm. results in the end product. And the product in itself can is a function of marketing. You know, it's really tough to market a product that's terrible. You know, you can have the best marketing in the right. world at the product. So having a really solid product, you know, will make the marketing, you know, a lot easier. Um so mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm, you find mm-hmm. that you've had different communities where you're going, gosh, we had a great, you know, marketing plan, but the product just wasn't there. And so it's, it just moves slower. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So I'm curious to kind of dig into that a little bit further. You know, what does the process look like in your mind for developing a solid product line for a community? Well, it's interesting because sometimes we, we do research, you know, as a general rule, because I think it's smart to, um, you know, do a market study before you just go build something. Um, and I would say about three quarters of our market studies are geared towards, they haven't built it yet. You know, here's the land and, you know, who's the customer, what kind of house they want, what price are they looking for? You know, in other words, tell me what's the highest and best use for this site. What should we put here? And about a quarter of our market studies are after the fact, you know, like, oops, we already built it, but oops, it's not the right thing. And therefore it's not selling. So now what do we do? So we have to regroup and redesign. So ideally there's so much money in the land today. It would be really stupid to not do to me a market study either internally, externally combination doesn't really matter. I just think that, that you should take the time probably four to five weeks to really study the market. And that means, you know, you're serving the competition. You're doing a lot of online research, but Nothing replaces going out in the field and talking to salespeople. Um, nothing replaces walking each lot. Uh, nothing replaces driving the resale neighborhoods because, you know, after all, 85% of the homes sold in the country are resale homes. Us in the new home business, you know, we need to look at the competition the way the customer looks at it. And I, and I guess in between all of these exercises of research, you need think time. You, you need to let it sit. 
you need to let it percolate. You need to like think about it while you're walking around and driving around. So I think that there's sort of a, a time for um, envisioning what should be built. I mean, there's some developers I know who can really like, you know, Mike Courtney's one of them, um, used to be Standard Pacific. He's retired now, but you know, he could like walk on a site and just know what to build. And I think there are very few people like that. So for the most part, doing research is a way to have like, like again, the due diligence of knowing the competition and knowing the market. And then we, we do a lot of charts and stuff and see like, where's the gap? I'm always looking for the gap. I mean, I can go out and build 2,300 square feet, you know, two story, four bedroom house, but so aren't 10 other people. So, you know, so where's the gap? Where's the gap? And what is not in the data? You know, because some people also get mired in the spreadsheets. I think that's where the vision comes in is what's not on the spreadsheet, what's just, what's not there. And this is where you, what you're trying to come to is a, a way of, um, I guess, providing something different that is not available in the market. Well, that sounds super simple, but honestly, it's, it, there's so few people that are really visionary about that. So, so I think the encouragement I would have is as a builder, make sure that you have some, someone on your team who can envision besides just the architect. You know, like, like who can envision the customer and the house that they need. And that's an important piece of design is seeing it in your mind. Yeah, it seems like, you know, there's definitely the science part of it that you describe, you know, doing the research, right. and looking, but then there's right. that artistic side too, right? You know, where you've got to, um, like you said, right. let it sit and look at the data, but then also be able to, to use that creativity. Mm-hmm. And I really like what you said about, you know, finding the the gap, because that's really what's going to make mm-hmm. your community unique. And then you've got something mm-hmm. to get around mm-hmm. with all your marketing right. and collateral. Right. And, um, right. Do you find. And I think, and, and I think it's important to note though, say you have four plans in the lineup. Like for me, I only have one surprise plan, one plan that totally fits a gap. That's totally unique. That's really different could be upside down. We did that uh, one time, but don't do them all like that. You know, you need to have one or two plans that are conventional that, you know, kind of fit what everybody wants, like, you know, the, the mass market, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you can, you can play with one and be brave with the next, but you don't want to be brave with all four. <laughs> too risky. Because not, yeah, it's too risky. And, and not everybody understands innovation, you know? I mean, remember how many people had Blackberries for a long time before they switched over to the iPhone? You know, so not every not everybody understands innovation. So you have to bridge the technology gap. Yeah, that makes sense. And and yeah. think, you know, you can move. You know, so you're, what you're saying is basically you can you can move people into that gap, but you're not going to dump everybody into that gap. So having, mm-hmm. you know, having no. something that you can position around, but you've also got options that people are very comfortable yes. for for people yeah. that are yeah. slightly behind the cutting edge people. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, and everybody's different. You know, this is certainly a, like you said a little bit ago, kind of a creative purchase, right? It's like art, you know, nobody's going to agree on what's a pretty painting. So in that it's creative, you need to give space for wherever people are at on that continuum to like get it and then buy it. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, in thinking about, you know, so you're building out a community and, you know, you're going to build a model home. Should that model home be one of those unique things or do you tend to handle that a different way? And maybe that's something that people are comfortable with or um, what's the strategy around the model home? It's really interesting. I mean, that has evolved over time. I mean, 
from being extremely thematic. When I was first in the business, we would have, you know, a house that was a Caribbean house. We would, we, one year we did all red, white, and blue houses, every single house. I mean, <laughs> I, I think they've gone from being highly thematic to so neutral on board, like beige and tan and gray. And, and now I think what's sort of in vogue are memorable models. Like I want to remember them without being so colorized that I'm turning people off. So, you know, we're not going to do yellow carpet. We're not going to do blue carpet and we're not going to do purple models. I mean, certain colors that are like out. And, and so I think the, the key is sort of memorability, but more than that, I think it's, it's targeting their, I want to say their socioeconomic status, their psychographics, just sort of who, who are these folks that are going to live here? And, and so step it up a little bit, but don't step it up so high that they can never attain it. And, and make it really comfortable. I, I think sometimes models are just overdone where you feel like you really shouldn't sit down. So, so there's that real, that's the edge between comfort and like elegance. It's a very interesting edge. Um, and it's different for every demographic where that edge is. But uh, the models are critical. I, I tend to like to spend decently on those. I'm kind of cheap in a lot of areas in the marketing budget because I, I run that way. But in models, I don't think you should be cheap because you can always re repurpose the furniture. I mean, I've been known to use stuff for like five jobs, you know, you put it in here <laughs> and then you reformat it and change all the colors out, put it over there. By the time you amortize it over four or five jobs. Um, so it's, it's good to spend the money up front and get good quality pieces and get really fun things. And I wouldn't be cheap on models. That's the test drive, especially today, right? You have 90% of the people learning about you or 93% online before they even leave the, the living room. They're doing this for eight to 10 months. They finally leave. They finally leave. I read a statistic the other day. It was, I think it's the sales team said that it's like 10 weeks is the average time from when they step in your model to when they buy 10 weeks, not long. So you got a short window. We used to have a long window with this customer. We used to have six months to a year. They'd be out kicking the tires. They're not. So I think the model is, is more of a closer than it ever used to be. Yeah, I think that's such a powerful point. And I mean, I guess your point, we still probably do have that window of six to 10 months or whatever it is, but almost all of it's online, right? And then you've got mm -hmm, that. Exactly. Yeah. And so the model presentation, some people are thinking, well, why do I need models? They're mostly online. And I'm like, are you kidding? You have them for 10 weeks. They're going to buy. You need to close them. They're, they're a closing tool, as is your salesperson. Yeah, you need to you, you need know. something to, to take them to the finish line. Because at the end of the day, nobody's yes. going to buy something without seeing it. You know, they're not just going to buy a house uh, from the internet. You know, they're going to get a ton. Probably of not. But uh, I, I guess it's, I, I think it probably it, happens. Yeah, I think it, it, it happens once in a while. I mean, relocations once in a while, but it's a very small percentage. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so for the, going back to the model strategy, you feel like you maybe bump it up a little bit from the norm. So you're, you're looking at your target market and maybe you go 20, 30% beyond, you know, so it's, it's a stretch, but mm -hmm. it's still something they can see themselves in and, and not trying to make it mm -hmm. too far outside the scope of what they they'd want. Right. And sometimes we pick specific themes with decorators. Like, you know, we want this to be like restoration hardware, or we want this to feel, you know, like a certain time period or, 
um, we're in Lake Tahoe, say, and, and we want it to be, you know, outdoorsy, rustic. They've got a tattoo, a couple of dogs and a motorcycle. You know, we get specific about like, like, what do these people look like and feel like? And, and, and so the house decor goes to the profile. The profile, I mean, in lifestyle and like, what do they do with their life? You know, if they're really outdoorsy and they're kayaking and skiing and all that, we need to speak to that in the house, you know, so that they can, they can feel it. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, we talk about that a lot um, with a lot of our customers is, you know, creating those personas, which are basically just who is your ideal Mm -hmm. client? You know, what are, what are the magazines they read and where do they shop and what are the activities they do? And yeah, I think that that's a really good point you make is, baking that into the model so that when they walk in there, it really does feel like them and then they can picture themselves there. So we've covered a few areas, you know, of the, the community launch process. And there, you know, um, I think you and I were talking a little bit before the show and there's maybe you've developed, you know, like 450 details that go into a launch, which is a lot. And so certainly we're not going to be able to cover mm-hmm. all those today, but I guess if, if somebody, doesn't check all those boxes, you know, can they still have a successful community launch or, um, you know, does each detail kind of impact that in a, in a fairly negative way? Well, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question and it's a good one. I mean, I, I look at it like taking a test. I tell my son this all the time, you know, like, listen, you got a hundred points on the test, right? So like, how many are you going to get right? <laughs> are you going to get 98, right? Are you going to get 90, right? You're going to get 60, right? You know, so I always look in the end of the day at myself and the team that, you know, we're working on a project is like, if I had to grade it, if I had to grade this job objectively after the fact, what grade would I give it? And we sort of have a little check sheet after, you know, crying on a few driveways early on in my career. I said, you know, I'm not doing this randomly anymore. We're going to have this checklist and we're going to go through at least, let's at least get the items done. Then you can debate whether or not they're good or not, but let's at least get the 450 items done. And then if you do that, and then you just grade it. You can see how did you do? You know, did I put out an A? Now, can you open a project as a C? Of course you can. I mean, I've done it. We've all done it. Um, you can open it as a C. It, it's better as an A because, you know, it just is because it's going to look better and smell better and it's going to present better. So, but you can still open it. The thing I would encourage people to do who are listening is to not, just don't be ignorant of the items. I, that's what I hear a lot is, wow, I didn't know there was like, that many things you had to do, you know? So, (laughs) so I think, I I think you just don't want to go into it, not knowing that, Oh, I should be addressing this and that and that. So I think, you know, I would be sure that you at least cover the items and then how they come out is just how good is the team, right? Going back to that, that core group of, of eight, say people or whatever, how the good they come out is, it's like playing baseball, right? It's like, you got a guy in first base, second base, or, you know, it's like how good is each person on each base and how good's the batter? If each person is strong, and you're probably going to win the game, you know. Right. But if you got a couple, three weak links in there, you know, you might not win the game. If you want to win the game, or at least you know have a higher score, then then I think you know you just sort of have to have better people executing each area, and and don't forget stuff. Don't forget the obvious stuff. Yeah. So one, one 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 caution I have on getting the A is I had a builder tell me this one time. He said, Deb, you know, you'll you and, and the way you look at stuff, you're going to try and get me to a 98%. I know, like the A+. Plus. But for me and my team, we're at a B right now. So like, if you can just get me to like 92, I'm really happy with that. Because 
the incremental cost, he said, that'll notch us up. We'll get more sales. We'll get more conversion, you know, but they said the incremental cost between a 92 and a 98 of time and money to execute to that level is so high. So intense. I don't think we, we can get there. You know, it's going to take too much money, too much time. So it was really interesting. I said, okay, good. So we'll dial it to 92 then. And that's perfectly fine. You just got to know where you're trying to hit, you know? You know, if you're really in a hot market, nothing's been built for 30 years and you have a project, do a B. Be happy with that. You know what I mean? If you're in a market like Antioch, California, and there's 40 competitors or I'm lying, like 18 competitors, you better do an A plus or 90, get 90, 95, you know, because you have so much competition. You can decide where you want to play it based on the competition, really. That makes sense. And yeah, I think to your point, just knowing the checklist, knowing all the items and then kind of scoring yourself right now, you know, how did the last one go? Mm-hmm. You know, where, yeah, exactly. And then trying to notch yourself up, you know, one or two levels above that and, and keep charging towards the, you know, getting all 450 done and getting to the A level, but it may not happen, you know, on the, the very next one. And um, I guess I'm no, curious. No. When you look at... I guess a lot of the builders you work with or or builders that you've seen, you know, what are the top items on that, that big checklist that you feel like people are missing most often that maybe would have a pretty large impact if they, if they didn't forget those things and didn't miss those things. I mean, I know this sounds basic. I'm going to give you a real basic right now. I, I think sometimes the message is not consistent between what the salespeople are saying, what the digital marketing platform is saying, what the signage is saying, what the print effort is saying. I I don't often get a single communication to the customer. Meaning if you have a clear message, like a tagline, like say it in five words, maybe six, what is it that you're offering me? If I don't get that clearly, hit me over with a two by four, then um, you've missed something. So I think consistency of message is is a big opportunity and it doesn't cost anything doesn't cost anything that's it's just that's making great. sure that that the right hand and the left hand you know the person talking this is your marketing director now talking to the signage person talking to the decorator talking to the architect you know is is the message the same that they're all trying to put out there that's huge the other mistake I, and I don't know if I'd call it a mistake but I think just execution in the field sometimes there's a lot of like plans drawn like landscaping plans for example as a prime one you go out in the field it doesn't look anything like the plan <laughs> like why well I don't know you know the guy didn't have these bushes he put in different bushes we decided we don't want annual flowers the superintendent doesn't like that color forget all that forget all that I mean if we have a plan and we all agree this is the budget put the stuff in You know, don't fool around, don't fool around, don't try and cheap out. If you need to save money, you need to talk to someone in marketing and say, is it okay if we save here? So I I think, you know, pretty much like execute the plans that that your professional people have given you and you've agreed on. Like, um, don't alter a a third of it. You know, oh, well, we did three quarters of it. Well, then you just got (laughs) to (laughs) see. So for me, I'm, I'm sort of big on like stick to the plan. If you have, if it was a stupid plan, then we, okay, then rewrite it, start over. Okay. But if it was a good plan, then then execute it. Yeah. I, I think that's awesome advice because I think as with most things in life, you know, you, you have a plan, but then execution is the hard part and execution is pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can, yeah. you can start out with yeah. a, a plan, a bad plan, but if you execute it well, it's going to turn out better than a, 
a great plan that right. doesn't get executed. So I think that's a and great you'll be amazed. Yeah, you'll be amazed at how many people I say, well, have you been in the field on this? Have you actually seen it? Well, no, we haven't gone out yet. I'm like, well, then, you know, I don't talk to me yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, in, in a way, I mean, you know, it, like, okay, they're installing the sales office. So, it's, you know, you need to be there. There's a lot of little decisions that are made and they're small, but, you know, they do add up. You know, it does add up because it's always a little different in the field and things look a little different than on paper or on your screen. And you have to have the judgment call to tweak it and make it better. And the guys appreciate that. All the people in the field appreciate that because they just want someone to give them a little opinion and it does come out better. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think. uh, Yeah. I hope that answers your question. Totally. Yeah. I mean, basically the the two big ones that you talked about were, you know, Hey, we need a consistent message. And that's, and then the other one is executing on the plan, you know, following through on the plan. If you, if you created it, you spent all this time building the plan, why not execute on that? And, and I think your point on the messaging is, is well put just because it's so easy to, uh, I guess, lose that message throughout all these different channels. And and I think going back mm-hmm. to an earlier point of yours, if you just get everyone in a room and talk about what the the message, the theme is of the community, the, you know, the product, what you're trying to do, it, it's really easy to get people on the same page. But it, uh, if you don't take that step, then it, it kind of falls apart, you know, somewhere in the middle there. So mm-hmm. uh, That's no, right. those are great. That's right. And Debbie, I feel like we've kind of just scratched the surface, but we've also uncovered, you know, a ton of great gems here. I think that'll be super helpful to people. And I have, um, I have one more question for you, but first, you know, how can people find out more about you, get connected with you, that sort of thing? Um, if, if people want to look us up on our website, it's probably the best way to get a good summary. And that's under bernardpartnership.com. And, uh, you know, that gives you a nice sense of what we do and who we work with. And uh, we have offices in Connecticut and New England. Um, and then also do a lot of work on the West Coast because, you know, I lived there for a long time and still still like Napa Valley in San Francisco. <laughs> so um, I would say our website is probably the best way to get in touch. Okay, perfect. So, yeah, make sure if you want to get in touch with Debbie, you know, head over to Bernard Partnerships. Dot com. We'll also make sure to link that up in the show notes so it's easy for, for you to find. Um, but I guess as we wrap up for today, you know, if you could leave our audience, our listeners with one piece of advice, what would that be? That, you have good questions, Spencer. I don't know where you come up with this stuff. <laughs> but, um, you know, one piece of advice would be allow think time. That would be it. assuming you can follow, you know, details and you can execute plans and kind of you know, bring things together in an organized sort of a way like we've talked about, I would somehow allow the time and space to think and create because it's almost can be a lost art in in the pace of our society. Um, And so I do think that there's time needed to, you know, sit by a river and think about life. And I think there's time needed away from the office and the desk to just breathe. And I I think that that's where really the future always comes out is when you're not pressed, when you're not pressed to be working at something, you know? Uh, so I, I think sort of creating that space um, is, is really, is really where you can drive the most difference in a project is, is by coming up with something unique. 
I, I love that. That's awesome. I think that's great advice. I think it's something we don't do enough in life probably is just take a breath, you know, take a pause and and let kind of what you're working on and what you're working towards kind of simmer a little bit. And um, certainly mm-hmm. that's to your point where a lot of creativity and, and good ideas and new ideas can come from. So I think that's exactly. a great way to, to end our show today. And Debbie, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today. Well, it's been my pleasure and it's been super fun. So stay in touch and, um, and thanks again for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks, Debbie. Okay, take care. Thanks for joining us today on Builder Funnel Radio. Don't forget to visit www.builderfunnel.com for tons of free marketing and sales resources. And if you ever need hands-on help implementing your marketing and sales system, just send a quick note to radio at builderfunnel.com. And as we close for today, remember, never stop learning. See you next time.